0: Raise your hand if you have more emails than you can shake a stick at. You can't see me right now, but I'm raising my hand as high in the air as I can reach right now. That said, email is still one of the most effective ways to reach your audience. When Facebook changes their algorithm for the hundredth time, or when Instagram changes their priority to video content We can always fall back on the good old faithful email as a very reliable way to show up for our customers. So how can you entice your customers to click open on your email when you have so much noise in their inbox to compete with? Today's guest, Erica Holmes, is a copywriting expert who helps entrepreneurs find the sweet spot between clarity and personality in their marketing message. Through her work with big and small brands alike, she's seen firsthand that putting personality into your copy is the fastest and best way to attract your perfect clients. In addition to online entrepreneurs and personal brands, Erica's list of clients includes eBay, StubHub, and Levi's, just to name a few. She's on a mission to show her kids and other aspiring entrepreneurs that they can make a damn good living doing what they love, even with an English degree. Erica shares her top tips and tricks for adding a little personality to your email content so that your customers can't wait to click to open. And she's here today to share all of that with us. So let's dive into today's episode. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where
1: no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking
0: imperfect action rules, so we're creating space for you to dive in and fast-track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Erica. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to talk to you about all things email and inboxes today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the show with you today. Yeah. I mean, I feel like email is one of those topics. It always comes back to us, right? Like Instagram goes down for a day. Australia and Facebook are in a fight. The anti-tracking features are added to the Facebook algorithm, or sorry, the iOS. 14 rollout is preventing Facebook from tracking and we always come back to email. We're like, this is our land. This is the land that we own. This is what we really need if we want to be successful in business. That's right. I would love to hear your story about how this became your thing. How did emailing become your expertise? Okay, so
1: I have always known that I wanted to get paid to write. I got a purple diary with yellow moons and stars on it for my 10th birthday. And I think that between that and my obsession with like Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High and 17 Magazine, that like sealed the deal. So I started my writing career in kind of the newspaper and magazine world. And then I kind of found myself in the, I like to say that I went from like Carrie Bradshaw to Peggy Olson. If you ever watched Mad Men, I kind of went into the marketing and advertising world. That's where I got my feet wet with email marketing, writing for brands like StubHub and eBay. And then I started my business six years ago when my son was about 18 months old. I was just ready for a little bit more flexibility. The whole nine to five thing wasn't working for me. And I started my business as really a copy generalist. A lot of your listeners might be able to relate. I was like, I'm going to be a freelance writer and I'll just write like whatever people are willing to pay me for. I'll write it. Blogs, social media, I was still doing newspaper and magazine articles. And then as I kind of accidentally stumbled into this online marketing space, which I was like, what is this? I didn't know this existed. You start to hear it's all about your email list and you've got to start growing your email list and the money's in the list. And clients started asking me for more and more email specific deliverables. And I was the classic, like, I always butcher this, but the cobbler's, like the cobbler's kids with no shoes, right? I'm like helping. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I'm helping all of my clients with their email, meanwhile, neglecting my own. But as I kind of grew in my business, and started realizing what I really liked to do, what people were coming to me for, what was getting the best results, I decided to niche down to website and email copy. And as part of my rebrand, which launched in 2019, I created my very first two lead magnets and a seven email welcome sequence. And so when I launched that rebrand and announced these two lead magnets, within a couple of weeks, I was like, what is this? sorcery of like people responding to my welcome sequence and like asking me how to work with me, I started to see the results. I knew that email worked, right? Like I've worked with a lot of clients. I know that email works, but to start to see it actually work for my business, it like flipped a switch in my mind. Even later that year, when I launched my first quote unquote, passive product, a template bundle, I sent a series of like eight to 10 emails and people bought it. And I was like, oh my gosh, email officially works. And from that kind of started my obsession with email.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is, first of all, a fantastic place to do business for all the reasons that we mentioned before. And I love that you led into this creating a whole mood with like Sweet Valley High (laughs) and Carrie Bradshaw, because I just pictured you cozied up in your cute little apartment with like your beautiful wardrobe behind you. And it just sounded so lovely and so sexy. But I know that also it's not that straightforward and it's not that simple. And I have a feeling that some of the things that you've already mentioned have listeners going, okay, wait, what? A welcome sequence? What's that? How do I, do I need to do that? What do I do? So why don't we get into some of the more, I guess, tactical things and talk about that. It sounds like a welcome series is something that we should all be doing.
1: Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so first let's define what a welcome sequence is. Because it sounds super fancy and it goes by different names. Some people call it a nurture sequence, welcome series, but essentially, it's just an automated series of emails. When somebody signs up for your list, let's take an example. When somebody signs up for my list, over the course of 14 days, they will get an email every few days that's just automatically sent to them. And I like think of it as a charming robot version of you welcoming people onto your list every day telling them what you're all about, what they can expect from you going forward, warming them up to you. So that's really what a welcome sequence is all about. And it starts to build that know, like, and trust factor that we all want. It also gets people used to seeing your name in their inbox. So they kind of are not trained, but they just know to open the email from you. And on the flip side, if they decide like, actually, this isn't the right person for me, then at that point, they usually can unsubscribe and like see their way out if it's like not the right fit.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense because if they're downloading a lead magnet from you, they actually don't know anything about you yet. So in a way, it's an opportunity to introduce yourself, to kind of pull them a little further into your world, to enable them to become familiarized with you and what you're all about. But I know too that inside of the inbox, things can get a little noisy and I guess saturated and we're all getting a lot of emails nowadays. So I'm wondering if you have any tips for standing out when you start sending emails to subscribers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so one of the biggest things and one of the often hardest things is the magical subject line, right? Because imagine you looking in your inbox and I mean, I don't know what your... Email behavior is like, but I'm still very attached to my inbox. Like it's up all the time. I haven't mastered the whole only check my email once a day thing. I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) So you really want that subject line to stand out. You want it to have that bestie vibe subject line. So imagine that you see a meme or you see something like an event that you want to go to and you like text it to a friend, right? What would your text say? It would probably be like, OMG, this is so funny. Or like classic, or you would love this, or this is so true. You kind of want your subject lines to have that same kind of bestie vibe. There are some exceptions to this rule. If you are, for example, delivering your freebie, you probably just want to say like, here's your free guide. If you are in launch mode and you're enrolling for a new program, you probably want to say enrollment now open. But for your general nurture emails and your welcome sequence, you want to keep them, one of the ways to stand out is to make people think like, wait a minute, is this is this a promo email or is this like actually just like an email to me?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like you just really wanted to feel super personalized and not salesy at all.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And that's kind of the way I like to start my emails too. I always like to start it with a story either like a story of something funny that's happened this week, or maybe I use a lot of analogies or parallels from maybe a TV show that I'm really into or a movie that I love to kind of lead into whatever the goal of the email is, whether I'm teaching something or I want to share like a tip. I very rarely start my weekly emails with just straight kind of a copy tip. like It always kind of feels like a story, like a narrative, and then segues. I connect it to something business-related versus starting it off right off the bat.
0: Yeah. And I think probably the goal of the welcome sequence is really just to get readers opening the emails and interested in you. And I've heard it said before that 80 cents of your dollar is in your subject line. So if you can't hook them or interest them enough or have your subject line catch them enough to have them open the email, then you probably haven't met the goal of your welcome sequence. Is there any truth to that? I would
1: say that there is truth to that. I would also say that your welcome sequence will always be I mean, I would say like 99% of the time, it's always going to have your highest open rates because people are right there. First of all, they're expecting that first delivery of the freebie. When people first join your list is typically when they're most engaged with you. They're most interested in you, right? It's like when you first meet somebody on a date or something, you're like waiting for that next phone call. Are they going to text me? Or are they not? So that's another reason that a welcome sequence is really important. You're building on that momentum. It's kind of like the honeymoon phase that I like to say. Yeah, your welcome sequence is always going to be your highest open rate, period. So it's really important just to be strategic with it.
0: Yeah, and in terms of benchmarks, what should listeners sort of expect for open rates in this welcome sequence?
1: Oh, yes, this is a very common question. I wish that there was a black and white answer. There really is not. When you're just starting growing your list and it's small, my welcome sequence hovers anywhere from like 60 to 70 percent. And again, that starts to go down once my weekly emails are around like a 40%. Promo emails, a little bit even lower than that. That's just kind of natural. It's normal. I would say for your welcome sequence, anything above like 50%, I feel like you're good. Yeah, It's probably going to be expected to be higher. As your list gets bigger, it's going to get lower because there's more
0: people. Right. And it's a numbers game. And I know too, like I've heard different percentages thrown around. Sometimes I hear 20%, sometimes I hear 50%, but... I think kind of the main message here is that you can expect the majority of people not to open it. Like we're not looking at 70 or 80% open rate here. So if you're sending out emails and you're only getting like 20 or 30% of people opening it, that's okay, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And another thing is there are people whose emails I subscribe to that I love and I'm still not gonna open every single email that they send to me. But part of the reason that email is so powerful welcome sequence or not a welcome sequence is that it keeps you top of mind. So somebody might not be ready to buy what you're selling or work with you right when they join your list. But when they do get to a point where they're like, oh, I need a photographer. Oh, I need a copywriter. You want to be one of the first people that pop into their head and you being in their inbox helps reinforce that.
0: Yeah, that just makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're always kind of scrolling your inbox anyway. I'm like you. I keep mine open all the time. So even though I don't open every email, if that name pops in there, well, you're back on my mind again. So I think that makes a lot of sense because we're not always ready to buy whatever it is that is being sold to us. But sometimes we are. And it's important to be top of mind when that opportunity does arise. Yeah. And the
1: other thing is with the welcome sequence, I don't remember the stat. I think it's like 40% maybe. I just did it in a recent podcast episode, like 40 something percent of brands don't send an email when somebody signs up for your list. So just by being one of those few, the minority kind of who does send an email, you're automatically going to stand out in the inbox too and kind of earn that trust and credibility.
0: Absolutely. And I heard you said earlier, too, that once you start sending that welcome sequence, it's an opportunity for people to determine whether or not you are going to be a good fit. And in some cases, people are going to unsubscribe. And I think that If I assume correctly, listeners are hearing that and going like, oh, you know, shots fired, unsubscribed, my feelings are hurt. But it's not necessarily a bad thing when people unsubscribe, right? Absolutely not. I think
1: that part of the point of email is bringing your right people, your right audience closer to you. It's this whole attract and repel thing, right? I don't necessarily, not everybody who comes to me, who finds me is the right client for me. And so, yes, it's totally okay to have unsubscribes. Absolutely. In fact, I take it as a good sign because it means you're being really clear about what you do and maybe your values or kind of whatever are those things that you want to stand firm in that somebody might be like, eh maybe this isn't the right person for me.
0: Yeah, and I think if nothing else, at least it's keeping your list somewhat clean so that the people that are on your list want to hear from you, or at least they they don't not want to hear from you enough that they've unsubscribed. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so we have our welcome sequence, it sounds like we have a good handle on that. What happens after the welcome sequence?
1: Okay, so ideally, after the welcome sequence, you are emailing them consistently. And I say consistently, because there is a lot of pressure to email weekly. That is very hard to maintain. I'm one of the first to admit that even as a copywriter, I go back and forth between emailing my list or in the beginning, I was very good about emailing my list weekly. And then when COVID started, I sort of fell off a bit. But the important thing is to be try to be as consistent as possible, even if that's every other week, even if it's once a month. So the goal is to nurture them by emailing them consistently. And your weekly emails or biweekly emails, whatever, could be anything from promoting your latest podcast episode to sharing a tip, or simply entertaining. But you just, again, it's about keeping yourself top of mind in their email inbox. So sticking to some sort of consistent schedule and emailing.
0: Yeah. And I think too, like you don't necessarily need to be sitting down and writing a new piece of copy every single time you're reaching out to your email list. Maybe you're recycling an old Instagram post that you got a lot of traction with or a blog post that did really well. And I think to your point, like you said, not everybody's going to open every email. It's okay if there's some repetition in there, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's a really good point. And one other thing that you want to keep in mind as you're deciding what should I write about is to be clear on what the goals are for your email list. And this may evolve as your business does. So for example, when I first started my email list, I didn't have a course for people to buy or templates for people to buy. I was really still just doing done-for-you one-on-one services. So my goal was maybe get a one-on-one client here and there, but mostly I was looking to nurture people so that when I finally did have something to sell that was more like a, hey, just click here and buy this. I had an audience that was kind of warmed up and primed to buy. So maybe your goal for your email list is getting more listens and shares on your podcast. Maybe it's simply entertaining. Maybe it is trying to get one-on-one clients or selling a course that you have on Evergreen. So being really clear on what your goal for your email list as a whole, and then each individual email that you're selling is really important.
0: Yeah. And I see that you have some email rules to live by. What are some of those rules that we should be living by?
1: Okay. So the first few are very unsexy. They have to do with formatting, kind of how your emails look. I personally am a fan of the plain text email that really just looks like it's coming from your best friend. So that means plain text, no like fancy headers, Keeping your margins narrow, because these days our eyes, we're used to reading on a phone, so our eyes do not like to scan too far left to right. So keeping those margins narrow. Your font size is nice and big, 14 or 16. Keeping your paragraphs one to three sentences, like three sentences max. We're going to throw out all those rules that you learned in English class back in the day about paragraph having to be three to five sentences. We're throwing that out the window, three sentences max. The other thing is always using personalization, their first name. I still get emails that may be like, hey, guys, or hey, babe. And it's like, just use your first name if you can. Your email service providers these days make it super easy to be able to do that. And then another one is always, always have a PS. The PS is super, super powerful. Back in the days of direct marketing, there was a stat that 90% of people read the PS first. That's probably not true anymore, because when you reopen an email, you don't see the PS right away, but it stands out. So people automatically jump to that PS. And there are some really strategic ways you can use this PS. It could be to, if you've ever seen the acronym TLDR, like too long, didn't read, it could just be summing up your email. Mm-hmm. It could be asking a question and trying to get engagement, which is one of my favorite ways to use it it could be reinforcing something that you've said in the in like the email that you wrote. So that PS can be a really strategic and powerful tool.
0: Yeah, and I know I am guilty of skipping to the bottom of emails looking for that TLDR if it's a long one. So I can definitely see how that's kind of a secret hack in getting through to people by email. So I'm assuming that the power in the PS is to have a call to action there. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So if you are, for example, in my welcome sequence, let's take for example, I like to use the PS for engagement specifically. So Part of my goal of my welcome sequence is getting people to hit reply and start those one-on-one conversations, start to really build that relationship. So I use the PS to ask a question like, hey, what do you do? Tell me a little bit about your business. If I am in a promo mode, that might be where I add a testimonial or something like PS, here's what Katie had to say about my template bundle or PS, remember that this is risk-free. There's a 30-day return policy. So you want to like save really important information for that PS just in case it's the only part of the email that they read.
0: Yeah, and I suppose there's something to be said about only having like one call to action inside an email because otherwise we might get overwhelmed with decisions and links and what to click, right?
1: Yes, which actually segues perfectly into the last email rule to live by, which is one email, one goal. I've definitely seen a lot of emails, especially in the welcome sequence where people want to share all of their top blog posts or all of their top podcast episodes. And here's a link to this program and here's a link to my about page. And this again ties back to being really clear on what the goal for every email is. What is the action that you want people to take from this email? Even if it's just a straight, nurture, entertaining email, what's the goal? What are you wanting them to take away? What's the lesson in that? And then the call to action should relate to that.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I love that you addressed not calling people guys or friend or babe in an email because I think that maybe people get things a little bit mixed up between a social media post and an email post where social media might be directed at a group of people or your followers, whereas an email is really being sent to just one person. And so if you're using words like guys and friend, it just kind of takes away that opportunity for it to be really personalized and, and directed to, like you referred to, directed to your bestie or eliminating that bestie tone, which I love, by the way, I'm going to adopt that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to say that one of the things that I love about email, maybe it's because once upon a time when I was getting my MFA in creative nonfiction, I wanted to write personal essays, or I had this dream of having a column like Carrie Bradshaw. And to me, an email feels like that. It feels like you're writing like a journal entry, or you're writing like, I don't know, just a one-on-one conversation. Social media can have that feeling, but not quite as much as an email where it's really like intimate one to one. People are like checking their email before they like get out of bed or at night right before they get in bed. So if you think about your email as almost like your own personal kind of journal or diary, obviously without sharing all your secrets, unless that's your thing, <laughs> 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 which it is, some people. And if aren't. it is,
0: I'm subscribing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's another way to think of it is that it's much more intimate than social media. And you want people to be like, wait a minute, is is she just sending this email to me? Because it really can feel like that if you do it right.
0: So you bought a fancy camera or you're thinking about buying one because it's clear to you that there is no shortage of beautiful moments or things in your life that you'd like to capture beautifully. But the record scratches because all the dials and buttons and settings are standing between you and your life in stunning photos. Well, my friend, I have just the fix the ultimate photography starter kit. This free resource includes a recommended equipment list, quick start checklist, and a beginner's guide to creating natural poses and candid moments to give you the confidence you need to dust off that fancy camera and start documenting your moments so they can last forever. The Ultimate Photography Starter Kit is completely free and it is everything you need to get started. So grab yours today at kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. That's kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. And I can't wait to see your framers in my scroll. I know that there's people who are listening that are like, okay, I've got a story to tell. I've got some value to offer. I need to be top of mind. when Even when people aren't ready to buy, I get it. But I do have a thing to sell. So what's kind of the right proportion for sending emails that offer value or kind of build that no like, and trust factor versus emails that are asking you to buy a thing?
1: I don't have a really black and white answer to that. I think it largely may depend on your audience, may depend on your industry. I market a lot to other marketers. They have a higher tolerance for being sold to. If you are maybe selling to, I don't know, parents or teachers, maybe your ratio could be a slightly higher for value versus promo. I think it's all about testing a little bit and seeing what resonates with your audience and maybe what doesn't. But I wouldn't say to be afraid to sell. You could always have the body of the email that's strictly around delivering value and then a PS that's like, hey, if you're interested in working with me one on one, like here's a link to learn more. It doesn't have to be a hard sell.
0: Right, and you can always just test it and check your open rates and tweak it and go from there. I guess the point there is just put it out there and see what happens. Don't hold back and don't overthink it.
1: Exactly, and if you do happen to send one email that it just gets like, you're like, whoa, that got way more unsubscribes than I imagine, then either you can go back and look at the email and see, mm, okay, maybe I won't do that again, or you can be like, well, actually, like, I'm fine with it. I'm at peace with it. <laughs> that might happen and just move on. Like, okay, fine, that that didn't go over well. We're moving on to the next one. We're not going to dwell on that. We're going to move forward and either learn from it or say that it was a good thing.
0: Got it. How frequently should we be sending emails to our list?
1: In an ideal world, I think one week is great. I realize that's very hard to maintain. So even every other week is perfect. Two a month, commit to two a month.
0: Got it. How do we know what to write about? Or how do we like, how do we come up with things to say twice a month? Yeah.
1: Okay. So one of my favorite little exercises that I do with my private clients is have you ever played the game taboo? Think so. Okay, I'll give her a refresher. In the game of taboo, there's a little card, you get a little card and on one side, it has a saying on it or someone's name. So let's say that it has Tom Hanks on it, right? Everybody knows and loves Tom Hanks. Well, on the back of that card, it has five things that are associated with that person. So on Tom Hanks card, it might say like Forrest Gump, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, Toy Story, and one other thing. I can't think of something else. And those are the words that like the person is not allowed to say because they're just too obvious, right? If somebody's like Forrest Gump, everyone's going to guess Tom Hanks right away. right? So my question to my clients is, What would those five words be if your name was on the front of the card? What would those five words on the back of the card be? And I do that for your professional and then for your personal. So taking me as an example, the back of my professional card might say website copy, email copy, copy makeovers, client experience, and brand personality. My personal card might say Jonathan and the kids, romantic comedies, mean girls, sour patch kids. So these things that people start to like red wine and and champagne, things that people automatically start to associate with you. So once you come up with those, you can start to build stories that correspond to each of those. And that's a really good way. So for example, when I'm sitting down to think, oh, I don't know what I'm going to write about next week. I might go to my list and be like, oh, TV movies. Maybe I was watching episode five of Bridgerton for the fourth time the other day. <laughs> and and I, an email pops into my head. So I might think, oh, OK, I can start this email. Like, I can start it with something about like Bridgerton and then segue into a teaching. Or maybe it might be, oh, my husband did something really funny the other day. I can use that as a jump start, as like a jumping off point. So that's a really fun exercise to just kind of tee up some ideas for you.
0: Yeah, I really like that. I've never heard of it like that analogy with the taboo game before. It's got me thinking that if you're feeling stuck or if you're thinking about your own taboo card business or personal and you're like, I don't know what it would have on it. Maybe it's an opportunity to ask somebody who's close to you or somebody that you trust or good judgment or good business sense or whatever, what they think would be on your card if you're struggling to come up with kind of those main topics. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And another good way, if you're feeling stuck on what could be on your taboo card, what would your friends or family tag you in on social media? So I know that me personally, there was a phase when everybody, if anybody saw anything related to bacon, they were tagging me on it because I love (laughs) like, or like a TV show, you know, right now, mean girls, people really associate mean girls with my brand quite a bit. So I get tagged a lot on stuff like that.
0: Got it. Okay. These are all really good cues. Now I heard you say that there is one metric that we should be measuring with our inboxes and that it's not actually the open rates. So I'm intrigued.
1: Yeah, this is my favorite. So the one metric that I use to gauge the majority of my emails is replies. People replying to me. When I am getting replies, I know that people are not just opening my emails, but they are reading them. Whatever I'm sharing with them is resonating, it's sinking in, and they're engaging with me. And especially as a one-on-one service provider, it's opening the door for that two-way conversation to maybe either lead the way to work in the future, to like paying work in the future, or just when people start to engage with you, you can figure out what their frequently asked questions are, what they're struggling with. So just those replies are golden because you get not just the one-on-one interaction, but a little bit of what's going in their head and what's resonating with them.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like, primary market research delivered into your inbox. It doesn't get much better than that. So I assume then if the most important metric is replies, we really need to invite our email list to reply to the email. So how do we do that? Absolutely. Okay.
1: One of my favorite ways to do this, which we talked about a little bit is again, to really use that PS. And so I might ask people in my welcome sequence, my first email at the end, it asks, what do you do? Tell me about your business." In another email, I'm doing like a mini training on how to redo your homepage headline and I reply with a take your best stab at writing your homepage headline, send it to me and I'll give you my feedback. Another one may be if I write an email about a TV show that I'm into, I did one about Virgin River a few weeks back, I might say, hey, I'm almost done with Virgin River. What are you watching? I need something new to binge watch. So, Again, just making it really conversation and feel conversational and really natural is the best technique. And those are the ones that get the most replies typically.
0: And would you say then that a shorter email is better than a longer email? Not necessarily. I've got some pretty long ones.
1: A lot of people will respond even if there's not necessarily a question. Let's say that you write an email that is a really, like, you're taking a stance on something. Like, maybe it's something to do with your values. Maybe you're saying something that goes against what the rest of your industry is saying. Even if you don't ask a question, people might respond to it just to be like, I'm so glad you said this. Like, I agree. Or they might respond with, actually, I disagree with you. Like, unsubscri- unsubscribing, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, is fine. Again, it's fine. But... I don't think it matters with length. I don't think it matters. I've written some really long emails and I've written some pretty short ones as well. I tend to go on the longer side. That's just, they're all writers, right? We're a little bit (laughs) long-winded.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I have to say, some of my emails, my emails vary in length. Some of them are very long because I take a look at them every now and then and I think, oh boy, like, is this too long? But there are definitely people who read them all the way through. And even if I'm not asking a question, once in a while, I'll hear from people saying, you know, I really enjoy your emails. I read every one of them. And then other times I get lots of unsubscribes and I think it's all just par for the course. It's fine. Like you said, if people are unsubscribing, it's not a personal attack and it's actually keeping my list clean, which is a good thing as well. So Erica, You have a freebie for listeners. I do,
1: yeah. So I'm actually going to do a little cheat sheet walking you through a little bit more of the, the taboo exercise. So a little bit more about uncorking your email personality.
0: Amazing. We'll make sure that we link that in the show notes, along with all the good ways to get in touch with you for anyone who's needing a little help with their email copy in whatever capacity. And I'd like to finish off these episodes with one really actionable tip. So when listeners walk away from this podcast, what's the one thing that they should do to really uplevel their email marketing game?
1: The one thing I think you can do to uplevel your email marketing is make it a date, put it in your calendar. Like when you stop listening to this, look at your calendar and figure out what's gonna be your dedicated writing time. Think about your magic hours, right? For me, it's the early morning before the kids are up. It used to be late night with a glass of wine. Make it something that you look forward to. One of my favorite books is Atomic Habits and it gives you a little trick of like pairing something that you don't want to do with something that you kind of have to do or should do. So maybe you decide, okay, I'm going to write my emails curled up in bed with a glass of tea or a glass of wine and make it something that you look forward to, but have a dedicated time for writing set into your calendar. And even if you don't know what you're going to write about, use the exercise that kind of tied to your personality pillars, just start writing something and see where it takes you. A lot of times I don't always know what the takeaway from my email is going to be it kind of reveals itself through my writing. So
0: that would be my, put it in your calendar, make it a date. Got it, got it. And so Atomic Habits, just to be clear, it's pairing something that you don't really wanna do with something that you really love. Yep. Is that right? Exactly. Oh. I love that. That is genius. Now, if only I could figure out how to write while I'm shopping.
1: (laughs) Or yeah, or like I do it in the bath a lot. But like one thing I hate blow drying my hair. But so now I listen to I just pop in my AirPods and listen to a podcast while I'm blow drying my hair. So now I actually kind of look forward to it because it's like a little me time.
0: Oh my goodness, genius. I did this with driving because I used to have to drive to photo shoots and I think like just sitting in the car holding a steering wheel is such a waste of time. And then I discovered podcasts and I just wanted to drive everywhere all the time. People would say, do you want to carpool? And I'd say, actually, I'm happy to carpool if you can handle listening to my podcast. Exactly, I love it. Erica, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today and learning all about the magic of the inbox. I am just going to walk away from here and go tidy mine up right now. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate you and your generosity and your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I took so many notes during this episode that my wrist is sore and I'm just itching to put them into practice in my own business emails. Bestie vibe subject lines. That is genius. Erica is a wealth of knowledge, and I'm so grateful that she shared a ton of tangible advice that we can easily start implementing in our businesses right away. She also made me feel a little better about the occasional unsubscribe well, okay, a lot better. (laughs) Being consistent is key in your email marketing, and it will help keep you top of mind as you navigate all the noise that is inside the email inboxes of your prospective customers. Building a relationship with your audience will help them know, like, and trust you, making them so much more likely to click that catchy subject line of yours. And P.S., see what I did there? I know I say it all the time, but I am so grateful that you lend me your valuable attention week after week. So be sure to check out the show notes at kellylawson.ca slash 058 to see how you can connect with Erica and to find any resources mentioned in today's episode. And until next week, Workshop Warriors, bye for now.